You're listening to Work Human Radio. And here's your host, Mike Wood. Welcome back to another edition of Work Human Radio, pioneered by Global Force. My name is Mike Wood. I am your host, and I'm joined by the wonderful Sarah Payne. Sarah, say hello to your fans. <laughs> hello. <laughs> yeah, see, you have fans. So, Sarah, this is a very exciting time for Global Force right now because our CHRO, Steve Pemberton, has a movie coming out at the end of the month. So, May 30th, it's a special showing of his movie about his life and based on his book, A Chance in the World. The movie has a couple great actors in it. It's got Nicholas Turturro, Tom Sizemore. And the guy who plays the young Steve is Terrell Ransom Jr. So, Sarah, you had an opportunity to sit down with with Steve yesterday and interview him about his experiences. And for those of you who don't know Steve, um, he grew up in a broken foster care system outside of uh, Boston here. And he has picked himself up to be very successful. And he's really an inspiration for everybody here. And also, uh, if you've seen him talk at Work Human. So um, can you just describe what, 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 what that was like sitting down with him talking about this? It's just, it's inspiring because he has such a positive outlook despite, you know, what he's been through. And uh, actually, May, it, for those of you listening, uh, May is actually Foster Care Awareness Month. So the movie's being released in conjunction with that to kind of raise awareness and uh, about the broken system and also the fact that there are so many kids waiting to find a home and there are so many people wanting to take kids in and care for them and uh, Steve talks about how he didn't have a family but he made a family out of out of the people that cared for him and, and recognized something in him so I just thought it was really inspiring talking to him and just hearing his story yeah it's just um and the fact that there are kids still being abused in the foster care system today um, that it's, it, it's a problem that, uh, we're all hoping gets fixed soon. But, um, here's Sarah's interview with Steve Pemberton, our CHRO about his life and his book and movie. All right. Well, thanks for joining us on Work Human Radio, Steve. Um, so I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about you and your background. Um, you're new to Global Force and you might be new to some of our listeners. Sure. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, I serve as the Chief Human Resources Officer for Global Force. I arrived in December of 2017 after what was uh, seven year, nearly seven years at Walgreens, uh, which ultimately became Walgreens Boots Alliance. And in that role, I served as a Global Chief Diversity Officer uh, for the company and set on the HR leadership team. Uh, and then prior to that, I was in a similar role at Monster.com. And so your personal story is uh, covered in your memoir, uh, Chance in the World, and mm -hmm. you're actually bringing this to the big screen. So can you just tell us a little bit about that journey um, translating mm -hmm. from a novel to a movie? Oh, uh, sure. <laughs> it's definitely different than writing a book, uh, having it adapted, because when you're writing a book, by and large, it's your vision that you're executing because you're the author in this case, you're the subject of it. But for some other, other authors, they're the expert on the subject. But when you have it adapted to another format, you're invariably dealing with others and the way in which they'll adapt things. I had seen enough books adapted to, to uh, screens uh, and uh, had considerable reservation going into it. Uh, 
particularly when you're dealing uh, with Hollywood, because they have their views of what they believe will be successful. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of meetings initially, and they were quite interesting, to say the least. <laughs> and so ultimately, I decided uh, to go the independent route, which was going to allow me to be truer to the story. Uh, but that was more of a secondary intention. The primary intention was to have it adapted in a way that would be impactful and meaningful. Mm-hmm. And that would take on some major issues of family and faith and fortitude and forgiveness, uh, particularly in these times when we're dealing with really a, a, a big struggle as a, as a nation over our, our very soul, I'd argue, mm-hmm. our identity. Uh, uh, between that which we aspire to be and that which at times we are. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's definitely an important story to tell. And I actually didn't know this. May is Foster Care Awareness Month. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what's the main message that you want viewers to take away from the movie when it com- comes to foster care? When it comes to foster care, there's no one main message. There's several. Yeah. Uh, one, uh, as it's currently constructed, Foster care in America is, a, is an American crisis. Uh, there are places that I could bring you stories I could share with you uh, that at the conclusion of your visit uh, and or reading that story, you'd have no idea that this would have unfolded in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have nearly 400,000 children in care in America. 117,000 of them are waiting to be adopted. For many, it never happens, and so they subsequently age out of the foster care system somewhere between 25 to 30,000 young adults a year suddenly age out. Uh, Oftentimes, they've had multiple placements, uh, multiple uh, high schools. Their skills have suffered. Their technical skills uh, have suffered, Uh, and yet they're suddenly cast off into society. So... uh, It makes for quite a challenging uh, situation because you're dealing with children in particular. And so having come from that experience, I know what's hanging in the balance. Uh, I know how important it is um, to have some of the tangibles of life, whether it's the world of work, higher education. At some point, you want to be seen uh, less for the circumstances that you come from, over which you've had no control but more through the lens of the possibilities that are waiting for you, which is where your entire focus actually is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think a lot of, you know, based on what I've read about your story, a lot of times when, you're, when these children are looking for families, they're just, you know, a, a piece of paper, you know, mm-hmm. um, to the families. And so many people want to start a family. It's, mm. it's really sad to think that there are kids out there wanting a family and and good people loving people that you can't adopt yes yes there's there's considerable bureaucracy for for adoption uh, lengthy processes sometimes born of, born of good intention sometimes wedded to the bureaucracy that makes it so so particularly uh, difficult so that, that's certainly a major factor. We, we have other broader social dynamics as well. A, uh, you know, an opioid addiction that is literally uh, supercharging uh, children into the system at levels we haven't seen since the Civil War. 
um, whole families being fractured, uh, displaced, uh, until fairly recently, very little focus. Uh, and so, you know, there's been, um, you know, all these are kind of competing factors, but there's also some very positive, powerful stories that come from them too. You know, one of the big misses about foster care and, and the kids in them is that we don't necessarily see uh, these young people for the considerable skills that they have. They're driven. Uh, the very nature of being immersed in adversity gives them a certain kind of perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, they keep coming. They're, they're unrelenting, but at some point they're going to they're gonna fade away, you know, if, if, if you don't get affirmed in some way, some way, shape, or form. So, you know, those, those elements, uh, particularly during May, is... Um, it's important to broaden the definition of family. As I think about my own family today, they're not blood. They don't look like me. Mm-hmm. Because that which I was born into was gone from me by the time I was three. And it happened so early that I had no memory of them. No memory of my mother, no memory of my father, no memory of family, none of that. So there, there wasn't anything for me really to return to. And, and, and yet I did find family, but in a very... Uh, untraditional way. Yeah. So, I mean, your personal story of adversity, adversity is quite moving. So how do you think that plays into how you are as a leader, you know, in your professional life? Uh, daily. Uh, from the smallest of interactions to taking on big strategic challenges. Um, you're always calling upon those skills that you developed as a result of being, in my case, in a turbulent foster home and series of foster homes where every day is a battle for survival. And so in the midst of that struggle, you know, when you're dealing with a workplace challenge, it doesn't rise to that level. <laughs> True. <laughs> so you're like, okay, this is not re- like, I think we can get Small through this, Small potatoes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think we can get through this, folks. Um, so I, um, very little tolerance for drama, mm-hmm. uh, very little uh, um, tolerance for you know, pounding the table in frustration over the issue. I think a third of your time should be spent uh, understanding the problem and two-thirds of your time should be spent trying to solve it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because complaining about it does not affect it in, in terms of the actual solution. So that's, that's another impact. And then thinking collectively, you know, in terms of a community, um, pulling ideas from different places is another. Uh, and then uh, probably more important than all of that is just seeing the inherent goodness in people. I see that every day. I saw it in my own uh, in my own life. It didn't come to me uh, until much later, but I, I saw it nevertheless, and so it did have you know quite a positive impression upon me. Um, you know, the the more I think that we make that part of our culture, part of the way that we engage and interact, um, and less uh, about you know the things that um, are negative in nature. One of the challenges in our society today is that our our denominator is cynicism. It is dissonance. You know, you turn on nightly news, social media, timelines, and you see an extraordinary focus on mayhem. And that that has to stain the soul. There's just no way you can be immersed in all of that and not have it affect your worldview. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what I've learned is just how much goodness there is. And you see that every day, but it doesn't come from the you know the people who are highly visible to us. Uh, it's more to, likely to be seen and observed in those who 
are in our neighborhoods and our communities and our churches who uh, in our workplaces uh, th those are where the real heroes in, in the country are today so I mean playing off of that you've now been chief diversity officer for two different companies mm -hmm. where do you see the biggest opportunity for making a real difference when it comes to DNI, um, especially for HR people that are listening? We need a fundamental revisitation of how we're having that discussion. In the, the very history of diversity in the workplace actually came from a, from a you know, from a different place, and actually usually born in something that is negative in nature. How do we avoid lawsuits, unconscious mm. bias, cultural competency, you know, the weighty words that invite uh, a glass half empty. Mm -hmm. And in, in the collision of perspectives where you, you have many times those who comprise diverse groups, women, people with disabilities, uh, people of color who see those attributes as something that gives them a different lens into the world, not something that they want to erase or sanitize when they come into the workplace. And then on the other hand, the competing uh, view is that these are all things to be transcended and overcome their weights, their burdens, and I look forward to the day we don't have to talk about this anymore. But that's robbing us of the, of the very diversity of humanity because humanity is diverse. By its very nature, it's diverse. And so you lose, to me, the full effect and impact when you try to strip out the diversity of experiences that people have and the perspectives that they come from. Uh, you want to have the perspective of a woman uh, as you're marketing your product line. Uh, and... and a person of color as you're thinking about the ways in which you're positioning your brand to an increasingly you know diverse America you know those those are perspectives that you want to have around you you don't want to avoid those and when you look at a lot of the faux pas that are that unfold in corporate America around this issue it was oftentimes because you didn't have diversity in the room mm -hmm. you know and so you, it, you had herd thinking and everybody mm -hmm. thought it was a good idea until it hits the public domain, and then it becomes clear, well, boy, who made that decision? And we've all seen things like mm -hmm. that. Well, who made that decision? If you went back to the room where the decision was made, oftentimes it was not necessarily inclusive. So you can be a diverse company but not be inclusive. Mm -hmm. So you have to be very purposeful about including, including different perspectives. I, I've been a chief diversity officer, as you point out, for two companies, and, and I am keenly aware that I still have so much to learn. And I, the only way I can learn is by asking, because I'm not a woman. I don't mm -hmm. have a disability. I'm not Latino. I don't have a second language. I have, a, I have an experience, but I, I want to best understand these kind of collective experiences and then you know, progress and move them forward. And we really need to do that now because what's become increasingly clear over the last couple of years is that you, do, you have a fundamental rejection of diversity, of difference. Um, considering it this foreign alien thing that's a threat, uh, and, and we just can't abide that. You can't allow those kinds of conversations to happen unchecked um, because it just collides with American ideals. Totally agree.
Um, in your session at Work Human, you said something I really like. You said, if recognition is the seed, then we are the planters. So can you just mm. expand on that a bit and and what you think the role of recognition is in, in the workplace and then how it, it um, how important it was in your personal story? Recognition is the thing that we're most missing in the country today, this inability uh, to recognize the commonality of the human condition and the human experience. And when I look beyond labels, any of us look beyond labels, it doesn't matter if that person uh, seated across from you is a man or woman, gay or straight, disabled or, or differently abled, a person of color, affluent, less affluent, you sit down with anybody long enough, you'll find common threads of connection. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you don't have differences. You do, but that's not, that is not the denominator of, of your interaction. And from that means that you'll recognize some elements of that person in yourself and they in you, though at first glance you wouldn't seem to have anything in common at all. I learned that most after uh, my book was published. So I, I knew that, uh, you know, certainly intellectually, but when you, when you get down your own life story and it becomes widely read, what happens is you, you wind up hearing the stories of others. Mm-hmm. And if you, sat, if you stood next to me at a book signing and just said nothing and just stood there and just watched people come up and the, the stories or Betty at the chapters that they have to share... Uh, you wouldn't know what those chapters are by looking at them. Uh, so those labels are highly, highly misleading. And so as a result, there's this common humanity that unfolds as a, because you recognize pain and suffering and loss. You don't necessarily need to come from that experience to understand it. You live long enough, you breathe this air. Those are experiences that we have. But we also have these positive moments of, 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 uh, of uplift too. Um, but... The, the, part, the point that I was making about being the planters is that recognition is not a passive thing. You know, you, you have to be aggressive about it. Mm-hmm. Thorny, to be blunt. <laughs> um, you know, hope, I understand hope's power. You know, it's a universal word. It um, invokes the higher angels of our nature. But for all of that, it's still a passive thing. Hope still expects you to wait for mm-hmm. something to happen. And I have not uh, been in the business of waiting, not now and uh, certainly not then. So recognition is an opportunity for us to address some of the things that we're in the struggle for our identity. Recognition is a way to heal, actually, because that's, again, the the biggest challenge is when when we um, are frustrated over what we see, uh, but we don't have any alternatives no I, I i hear very little discussion about so what do you do mm. then what do you do and recognition is one of the things that you actually do and lastly i'm convinced that the american workplace is the last best place to find that mm. we live in an increasingly segregated world our worship worlds are segregated our neighborhoods are segregated our schools are segregated certainly our politics are segregated our entertainment, it's very hard to find meeting grounds, marketplaces uh, where that shared humanity can be revealed. Mm-hmm. 
if it doesn't happen in a workplace, I'm not convinced that it will actually happen. Mm-hmm. You know, even in our workplace here at Global Force, you're going to, in a, in a daily interaction, uh, you're going to connect with people who are fundamentally different than you. And there's an opportunity uh, for, for us to learn. Uh, literally, just as an example, I, before I came into this session, uh, one of our team members stopped me uh, to say that uh, she and her husband uh, had taken in a six-year-old boy. And he'd been, he's been with them for eight weeks. You wouldn't have known that just by seeing her pass, mm-hmm. you know. And now she knew about my story because I wrote about it, of course, and there's a movie about it. But that's an example, though, of something that I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't shared some of my story. Mm-hmm. Right? <clears throat> story is so important, and you've shared your story at Work Human um, twice now, and you're a part of Global Force. Um, what do you think about our mission of making the workplace more human. What does that mean to you personally? My career has always been mission-centered. I began in higher education and then on to careers and then health and wellness. So mm-hmm. I've always been focused on uh, missions that are part of the common life event, the commonality of our, of our experiences. Uh, so that what that's exactly what feels natural to me, mm-hmm. and Global Force is in many ways an extension of it, uh, be, because it's certainly a radical idea that we can interact and engage one another from a standpoint of not that which is broken, but that which is working well, mm-hmm. and that we have a way to quantify culture in the levels and engagements and interactions that we actually have so I can say thank you for a job well done and uh, rather than the focus being oh here's what you didn't do well mm-hmm. uh, and then and then to expand that into other areas like performance management uh, our work human cloud um, uh, looking as well at re-architecting the way that we're talking about difference in the workplace in particular I think it's just something eminently powerful uh, about what we're doing, and we have the data and the research to back it up and support how we're affecting and impacting culture. So it's just not uh, it's just not about recognition. Actually, it's mm-hmm. about shifting culture and enabling culture so that people are indeed bringing their whole selves to work. They know that they're impacting the life. They know that they're making a difference. So while technology continues to accelerate. We're still at our core, though. Uh, we're, we're still social beings. We're still human beings. Mm-hmm. And there's you, you just can't Google your way to that. <laughs> it's very true. And I love how you said it's a radical way of thinking about mm-hmm. work because it is. If you look at a lot of companies that take the opposite approach and just look for the negative, um, it's radical to be positive. And I'd, I'd, I'd say that's equally true for society. Mm-hmm. You know, where, where, where does that negativity, in my view, serves no you know, purpose other than to perpetuate itself. I mean, that's usually mm-hmm. the outcome. It just yeah. it keeps perpetuating itself. Same thing is true of hatred. You know, hatred has not solved one meaningful thing in mm-hmm. the world. It's, it's the great destroyer of cultures, of civilizations even, because it... it it just keeps serving itself. It, it has no other end. There isn't. Doesn't. It doesn't solve anything. That's a anything. great point. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't solve anything. Um, but people still, regrettably, so they gravitate to it. 
And to be fair, oftentimes I gravitate to it because it's not another narrative. It's not another narrative out mm -hmm. there. Uh, you take any given day and look at what is on the nightly news and look at morning shows and morning talk shows and, and uh, the most searched, um, uh, search terms uh, or uh, most popular social media stories, and there's this you know, element of negativity to them. Uh, that ultimately affects us, though. It's, to, to me, it stains the soul. You have to have a certain armor to deflect away from that. Uh, and there's a few things that are as positively self-perpetuating as positivity. Because when you're on the receiving end of, uh, of a recognition moment, um, then that's certainly going to make you feel good about the job that you've done. But at some point in your, ex in, in your day, you don't think, well, who can I recognize in the way that I have been recognized? Mm -hmm. So it, there, there's a multiplier uh, effect um, that then I think has the additional effect of transforming culture. I mean, we see that. Uh, we see that in our work. And that's for, for us collectively the most exciting part of it is that you you know that what you do you know impacts a life and impacts a company's culture I mean, that's that's profoundly different from waking up trying to figure out where the negative headline is very true and um i love what you said about changing the narrative and i think that's what you're giving us with this new movie and um we're excited for our listeners to see it so uh, thank you so much for joining us on work human radio steve thanks for having me I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for listening to our interview with Steve Pemberton, our CHRO, about his movie that's coming out on May 30th. You can go to fathomevents.com to find out where it's playing in your area, and hopefully you go see it. I know the whole team here is going to see it. Um, so Sarah, thank you for sitting down with Steve. and uh, My pleasure. It's great to have you back. Thank you. Work Human Radio is brought to you by Globoforce, pioneers of the work human movement. Globoforce helps make work more human for millions of people and organizations worldwide. Learn more by visiting Globoforce.com and join the work human movement by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and the Work Human Community Forum on LinkedIn. Thanks again for listening to Work Human Radio.